hope you guys aren't sick of that song yet. It's only been three weeks. So um, I'm going to send it to you via email this week just so you can have it on your own personal. No, just kidding. Uh, hey, I hope that you are doing well. Did y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Okay, let's settle some debate uh, this morning, all right, because it's all over Facebook. Uh, do you uh, put your turkey in the oven or fry it? Who fries their turkey? Anybody? Wow. Okay. Well, we're in a room full of non-believers. I'm like, just kidding, just kidding. So everybody bakes theirs or puts it in the oven? Wow. Smoked. Okay. Anybody else smoke? Wow. Okay. Okay. I see what's going on here. All right. That's good. Okay. What about sweet potato casserole? Is it a side dish or a dessert? Side dish? Dessert? Okay. All right. Okay. I see. I see what's going on. What about ham? Is that, do y'all serve ham for, is that Christmas? No ham? Okay, all right, well, good. We can fight about it later. I'll meet you in the parking lot, okay? But, um, but no, hey, whatever you ate, I'm sure every single one of us ate way too much. And I cannot tell you, I've been telling people all morning, I'm just thankful while it is good that there's no more pie in my house. I have, have had so many pieces of pumpkin pie, chocolate pie, pecan pie. Uh, or pecan, however you want to say it. That's another debate, okay? Um, all kind of desserts at our house. So we have all um, gained 10 pounds, so we can't judge anybody, all right? We'll start, we'll start Monday. That's what you, I always say. I'll start Monday. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, so good to see you. And um, hey, one thing that we just want to celebrate, we're celebrating this across all of our campuses. Um, as we've been in this Won't You Be My Neighbor series, We've really been challenging ourselves to get out of our comfort zone, to kind of get out of our natural molds, if you will, and really be great neighbors and really say, okay, God, what does it mean to kind of take that, take that next step to not only be a good neighbor, but to love my neighbors well, meaning not just the people across the street, but really around the world, the, the people that God places in our lives, how can we really be a good neighbor to them and to love them well? How have you called us to share Jesus with them? And so across all of our campuses, this is really cool, and to celebrate this, um, we have church members that uh, Richard and Emily Barfell, they've been a part of our church for about two years. This is their picture on the screen. Uh, great, great family. And about a year ago on Palm Sunday, really, they just approached God and said, okay, God, like God use us. What, what does that mean? And they started to have this sense of God wanting to really push them out of their comfort zone to something more. Uh, they attend our Harrison Bridge campus. They have served in uh, a bunch of different ways with our students, with our kids, on the safety team. Richard's a doctor here in the upstate. <clears throat> and so they didn't know what that looked like until um, just about a year ago, and God called them to go to the mission field to enter full-time ministry and be missionaries. They don't know where that's at, but they are going with uh, the IMB or the International Mission Board. You probably know that if you grew up Southern Baptist, but um, it's kind of the Southern Baptist Convention's uh, entity that sends out and supports missionaries all over the world. And so today at all of our campuses, we're celebrating and commissioning them to say, hey, we're going to pray for them as a church body, um, as a campus, as believers, because that's a huge step. And that's something to definitely be celebrated as they're like, hey, we want to be a good neighbor. So they're going to leave. Um, uh, they, they have some training processes through the IMB between now and the summer. And then this summer, they will actually be leaving. We don't know where they're going to uh, be deployed at. 
but uh, just be praying for them and uh, for that, uh, that family as they enter that step. That's a huge step. So uh, something to celebrate. Let's just, um, let's just pray and just ask God to bless their time real quick um, through that. Let's pray together. Father, uh, we just lift up the bar fills during this time. What a huge step of faith as they step um, out of their comfort zone and say, God, we just want to be used by you. And for many of us in this room, while it might not be in another country on the other side of the world, you're calling us to be missionaries right where we are. And so as we dig into your word, will you reveal it to our hearts and open up our eyes to who is it that you have placed in our lives that, God, you want to use us to tell them about Jesus? And so, God, show us that. But um, and just as we open up your word, reveal yourself more and more to us, how we can be more like you. In your son's name, amen. Awesome. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 10, the gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third gospel of the New Testament. And um, we come across this instant, uh, this encounter, if you will, of Jesus and this Jewish attorney. And uh, if you know anything about scripture, a lot of times the attorneys or the Pharisees, the religious leaders, were they were trying to trick Jesus into saying something that he would regret or or just kind of trap him and say, ha, gotcha, that's not right. And so we come across one of these instances where this Jewish attorney is asking Jesus, how do I earn my way to heaven? Like, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? How do I make it? What, what steps? Is there a 12-step process? Do I need to walk across, you know, walk 10 old ladies across the street to Starbucks? You know, no, they didn't say that, you know. How many Hail Marys do I need to say? What is it? What, what's kind of the the formula, if you will, to earn my way into heaven. And Jesus, I love this, in total Jesus fashion says, okay, you're a Jewish, a Jewish attorney, essentially. What does the law say? What's written in scriptures? Like, what does the Old Testament say? He says, okay, it says that you need to uh, love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all, all of your strength, with everything that you have. And he says, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, hey, you got it right. Go do those things. Now, imagine if we were this Jewish attorney. I'm thinking, that sounds good. But we know, in hindsight, twenty twenty. it's a lot easier said than done, right? It's a lot easier said to just love, uh, yeah, I love God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, all those different things. But it's really, really hard. And then so, essentially, this attorney, this lawyer, then ask another question, a follow-up question. He says, okay, well, let me ask you this, Jesus, like, who is my neighbor? And so this morning, I, I want to kind of, we're going to look at how Jesus responds to that and hopefully pull out, okay, how do we answer that question? Who is my neighbor? Now, the no-brainer is the person that lives right next door to me, across the street from me. Obviously, that's my neighbor. But if you think about it, it's really interesting that this attorney, this lawyer would ask this question to Jesus even though he knew what the law said. And so there's kind of this premise, and you and I, you don't need me to tell you this, but knowing what God says is different than doing what God says. This attorney, he knew the law. He knew exactly what God said to do. It's like, hey, God said, he's quoting scripture from Deuteronomy that had been passed down over generation after, after generation. He's like, I know these things. I know what God says to do. Hey, we need to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I need to love my neighbor as myself. And if he knew that, then why is he asking 
Well, who exactly is my neighbor? It just proves the point. He's not doing what God said. And you know, we've all encountered people and we're all guilty of knowing exactly what God says in scripture and truth, what we've been taught in church or whatever, not to be legalistic, but then we're like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm just not going to listen to that. I know it, but I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to follow and live a a different way. We've all been guilty of that. Like, We've been in circumstances where it's like, okay, I know God says this and this, but that doesn't seem right here, so I'm just going to do what I want. And it never works out, does it? <laughs> it never works out. And if it does, it's short, it's short term, and long term, there's always consequences. So we know that that's the case, and Jesus responds in this. He tells this parable of the Good Samaritan, probably one of the most popular, famous parables of all time. I've met non-Christians that know this uh, this parable, this story. So we're going to read this together, and then we'll, we're actually going to be in Matthew 2. So let's read this, chapter 10 of Luke, starting in verse 25. So we'll recap kind of what I just said. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put uh, him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, a.k.a. making himself feel better, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And this is how Jesus replied with this parable. We'll break this down after we read it. He says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and then departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So then likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw this man that was left there half dead, passed by, he passed him by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had what? What does scripture say? He had what? Compassion. He had compassion. And he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his um, animal, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So then Jesus asked this question to the lawyer, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So you probably have heard this story. Here's this man who's journeying. Scholars believe he is a Jew. He's coming from Jerusalem, going to Jericho. And he's robbed. He's stripped of his clothes. He's beaten and just left for dead. And three people come to this in this parable that Jesus is is telling Three different people visit this man who is left for dead. Now, what's so interesting about parables is, you know, Jesus used these illustrations, these short stories to really prove a point or maybe several points. Oftentimes, 
these pointed to exactly who Jesus is. It reveals who Jesus is. And at the, at the end of the day, if you look at this parable, it's really showing that you and I were that, that sojourner, that traveler who was robbed and beaten and left for dead. And the world that we live in looks at us and leaves us for dead. But yet we need someone like the Good Samaritan being Jesus to come, to stop, to take care of our wounds, to put us on an an animal, to take us, take care of us, and and, and heal us. We need Jesus in that. So ultimately, that's what this story is about. But we're going to break it down, kind of literally speaking, in this story. What is Jesus trying to show? Now, I think it's really interesting when this attorney is asking, okay, who is a good neighbor? He shares this story, and we see these three different individuals. Now, the first one is a priest. Now, remember, of the day, a priest was someone who was kind of the mediator between man and God. The priest represented God. And so, if you remember, it's one of those things that if you wanted to talk to God, you couldn't go directly to God. You had to go through a priest. You had to go to him. He was God's man. He was chosen by God. He knew everything about scripture and the character qualities of who God was. So you would go to him. And even, you know, look at the Catholic church. It's, it's kind of the same rituals are applied. And so in this time, you have this priest who is looked at as God's man, approaches, that, sees this man from afar, left for dead. And how does the priest respond? He doesn't go to him. He goes to the other side and leaves him for dead. So Jesus has proven a point here. Then he talks about the second person, the Levite. Now, a Levite was someone in the line uh, from Levi, but was usually their role inside the temple was they were kind of the modern-day worship leaders, if you will, minus the skinny jeans, okay? So they would go, that's a true story. So they, would, they were in charge of the service inside the temple. They knew the rituals and the liturgical things of, hey, we need to do this. We need to do this offering. We need to sing these psalms. They would lead those psalms. So they knew the church order. They knew everything about the church world and all those different things. And yet he shows up to this man who is in need, who is left for dead, and he responds by going to the other side. And so then we come across the Samaritan. And really, if you think about this, for Jesus to tell this story to a, to a Jewish attorney, more than likely a Jewish audience, this was huge. Because when Jesus would get to this spot and bring up a Samaritan man, it's almost as if you could like hear the gasp in the Jewish audience of like, ah, not a Samaritan. Because Jews despise Samaritans. They, they, didn't even, they didn't even see them as humans. They, they just like totally dehumanized them, looked down on them. There was so much prejudice and racism that took place. And when Jesus says a Samaritan, they're like, oh my goodness, are you serious? A Samaritan? She's like, yeah. Out of all the people that stop, the people that, the person that you despise, ra- their race, their ethnicity, their background, their history, that is the person that stopped. And, they, and, he, and that Samaritan stopped and took care of the person. And he asked the question, so which one of these people was a good neighbor? The, the religious priest who didn't stop, 
the Levite who knew all the rituals of the church and all the customs of the church, did he stop? No. It was the Samaritan, the one who had compassion and showed mercy. Man, that like will punch some people in the throat. You know, that'll wake you up real quick. They weren't expecting that. And so it really proves this point of, okay, all these people, all the religious leaders, this lawyer who knows the law, the priest and the Levite who know all the rituals of the church, they didn't even stop to help somebody. It was the Samaritan person because they showed compassion. And so let's answer this, this question of who is your neighbor, all right? Just practically speaking, let's walk through this. Who is our neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Well, this is going to seem kind of, um, you know, easy to understand, but the first point if you're taking notes is everyone is your neighbor. Everyone is your neighbor. Anyone and everyone that you encounter in this world, whether you encounter them or not, everyone is your neighbor. Now, isn't it interesting, I'm guilty of this too, that we oftentimes pick and choose who our neighbor is? We pick and choose who we want to love and who we want to like and who we don't want to like. And if we're real transparent, oftentimes we pick those things based on false assumptions and misunderstandings. And it goes back to what I said last week. We don't even know their story. And we make preconceived notions of people, and we don't even like them, and we don't even really know them. And so everyone is our neighbor. God has called us to love everyone. To be the hands and feet of Jesus, to extend forgiveness and grace and mercy and compassion to everyone. I mean, do we really think, now think about this, I'm going to get a little crass for, for a little bit. Are we really picking and choosing whose eternity is important and who's not? I mean, it's, it's essentially what we do in our minds and sometimes in our hearts is that it's like this vicious, savage game of what I would call duck, duck, damn. You know what? You should go to heaven. You should go to heaven. You shouldn't. You, you know what? I like you. I like you. I don't like you. You should go to hell. And so we pick and choose who's worthy of us sharing the gospel, and that is so backwards to what Scripture says. I mean, think about if the Samaritan came up to this man and said, ooh, those wounds are really bad. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave, but let me just pray for you. I just, I'm going to pray, you know, but I'm not going to help you at all. But oftentimes, if you look at this, I mean, according to this parable, Jesus is using the religious leaders as an example to say, hey, the religious leaders didn't even do anything. We could be guilty of that. We could be guilty to be so wrapped up in ourselves and in our bubble that we forget about people on the outside that don't know Jesus, and we just look them by that everybody is our neighbor. But somehow along the way, you and I have become numb and callous to those things. It's like we miss the mark on all the uh, despair and depression and the hurt and the pain. And somehow, oftentimes, we turn it on ourselves. It's like we see someone hurting, and instead of responding to the hurt, we say, well, they don't hurt as bad as I do. You know, that's really bad, but I have it worse. And so we like just say, you know what? I see it, I recognize it, but I'm not going to do anything about it. And so in, in the uh, Gospel of Matthew, you know this. I'm going to tell you, reading this, 
um, and studying it, man, it is, it is weighty. But in Matthew 25, it'll be on the screens. You don't have to turn there because we'll come back to Luke. Just, just listen to this and watch the words on the screen as we read this. Uh, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will uh, separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, now get this, um, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. Does this sound familiar? I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison or, in, or visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, you did it for me. But here's a sobering part. Then he says to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed, and into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also uh, will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And that's weighty, isn't it? And I think we've all been guilty of that. What I would say kind of, I'm just putting, I'm being real, okay, because we see it. Get, we're pulling off the interstate and ride that intersection, a homeless man. It's like, what do I do? We've become skeptical, haven't we? Do I just give him money? Is he going to go get drugs or alcohol? I don't know. Is he really telling the truth? So we get paralyzed. It's like, I want to help, but I don't know. And then all of a sudden, it's like, ah, we just drive by, right? I've, I've seen plenty of datelines in 2020s. I don't want to help, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just being honest. But what if those people are the least of these? And I know that's kind of a stereotypical, like I'm just using it as an example, but there are plenty of people in our lives that ne have needs that we need to help meet and point to Jesus. So how are we doing that? If you think about it, and I've said this over the last couple of weeks, people are not a mission to accomplish, but are relationships to cultivate. People aren't just this mission that we go across the street and check it off our to-do list, but are really relationships to cultivate. So let me think, of, think, think on this. I'm going to step on some toes for a second. When's the last time you invited someone of a different ethnicity over to your house for dinner? 
When, when is the last time you hung out with somebody who doesn't believe like you? Get this. When's the last time you said, you know what? I vote this way, and I'm going to invite someone who doesn't vote the same way as I do. <laughs> we're we're going to come over. <laughs> yeah, Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, yeah, I know. But think about that. Not, and listen to me. Oftentimes, we look at it as a mission to accomplish. If I, if I bring that person over here, I'm going to tell them how so wrong they are, and they're going to believe just like me. I'm going to prove it. It doesn't go that way. How about if it's, you'd look at it as a relationship to cultivate? You know what I mean? Now think about it. You, you have to invite people. Instead of making these preconceived notions of what they think and what, how they act and these stereotypes, based on those things, invite them in. Cultivate that relationship. Man, we should, we should look around our lives and it should be diverse with people that don't have the same skin color, that believe something different, that voted a different way, that come from a different background, whatever the case may be. And because I feel like that makes us, our lives richer. It shows us, not just for the sake of, hey, let's just be good people and all that kind of thing. But that, that's what Jesus is all about. Man, there's a reason Jesus used the Samaritan. He used the one that said, nah, that's the outcast. We're not supposed to talk to them. And he just killed all the racism and prejudices and preconceived notions. And said, you know what? He's the one that saved the day. He was the hero in this. He broke out of his cultural uh, norm because everyone is a neighbor. I got to go fast. This preacher's talking too long. All right. Second point. The one in your path is your neighbor. The one in your path is your neighbor. Now, um, Think about this. God, we said this. God has specifically designed people. He put them right in your sphere of influence. Whether that's next door, cubicle, and your family, your friends, he's put them right there in your life for a reason. They're your neighbor. They, they see how you live for Jesus. Now, I want to show you two maps. This is kind of interesting. This is kind of a nerd in me. All right. So this is just a snapshot. This isn't everybody. This is just households that are represented here in Five Forks. You can see our logo kind of the top middle. That's where our campus is located. The, um, the bubble is a three-mile radius, okay? And, um, and you can see, man, we're spread all over the place. We have people outside that bubble. Think about this. What if each of those people, each of you, uh, okay, where you live, you're like, oh, that's my house, okay? Um, all right, if, yeah, that's my house, you know. Yeah, I zoomed in and saw your front yard. Just kidding. <laughs> that's creepy, isn't it? I Googled it, all right? I tapped into your ring, all right? So, but think about this. If, if you see your house, think about the influence that you have in your neighborhood. Now, some of you live in the same neighborhood. Now, think about that. Your combined influence in this. And so, if you were to really be intentional in your neighborhood... Man, think about the influence we would have as a church, but even more is in the kingdom of God, how many we can invite in and say, hey, I know you don't look like me, act like me, you don't have the so same economic status as me, but invite you in. And I'm going to tell you, you know this, you don't need me to tell you this. More often than not, if you want to reach someone for Jesus, it comes from a relationship. 
It's not a one conversation to try to sway them and their beliefs that's just going to drop a bomb and they're like, I should believe in Jesus now. It happens over time. And cultivate those relationships. And I think this is so true um, in, in our lives. Now, the next picture is all of our campuses. Look at that. All right, so there's all five of our campuses. And once again, this doesn't represent everybody, so if your house isn't on there, I'm sorry, okay? But it's a good snapshot. Um, the free software that we're using was limited number of members, okay? And so just fully transparent. Um, and so you can see, I mean, Anderson, we're growing in that. But, man, the upstate, the Greenville area, Simpsonville, Harrison Bridge, Malden, Five Forks, man, our influence is huge of, the, of, the, of how we can interact with others and invite them and to just cultivate those relationships. Because the truth is, how we interact with people that God has placed in our lives reflects how we interact with God himself. If we're interacting with God and following God, he's going to pour into us and open up our eyes to how we should view other people. Because there's been times when I'm not walking with God, I look at people, I'm like, man, I hate that person. You know, those preconceived prejudices come about. And so we need to, how we are close and interact with God is how we're going to interact with people. And then third, and lastly, the one who is in need is your neighbor. In Acts 20, um, verse 35, it says, In all things, Paul says this, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Man, how awesome is it that the Samaritan meets these needs? And he uses oil and wine to help clean and take care of the wounds. He pays for him to come to it. He puts him on his animal. I don't know what it is. Donkey, camel, I don't know. Carries him to an end and says, hey, I'm going to take care of you right here. He leaves the inn and tells the innkeeper, hey, whatever you have to do, take care of him. I'll pay for it. It cost him something. But he was willing to meet that need. And for us, we have people with needs all around us that need to be met. The biggest need is their eternity. You know that, not to sound super churchy or spiritual, but that's where it all starts. And we see that the Samaritan is a good neighbor because he has this compassion in his heart. And he says, man, I, don't want, I want to take care of this need. And so as you walked in today, just super practical. I don't know if you're visual like me. This is just how my brain works you got one of these pieces of paper. I'm not going to go into it. I know you can read. But on one side, there's this grid. And there's you in the red. And there are some lines for your work or your job, your neighborhood, your family, and friends. And I just want you, you don't have to do it right now. But really, maybe over lunch or later this afternoon, uh, if you can recover from a turkey coma, okay, is fill out those people that God has placed in your life. And for some of you, maybe you haven't. Uh, nailed down who is your one that you're going to be intentionally praying. This is a great resource to help funnel those things. But um, so write that down and take some time to do that. And on the back side are just some suggestions. This is a small list of ways that you can cultivate relationships with your neighbors. Host a movie night and invite families. Invite a neighbor over for dinner. Write a note of appreciation to a coworker. Deliver baked goods. Can I get an amen? All right. All these different things. Look at this list. And when you leave here today, as we commission the bar fills, you're commissioned. Every Sunday, do something. I mean, the, the holidays are such an easy way to do this. 
Look for ways that you can intentionally invest in other people. And I don't know about you, my story, and I'm sure the majority of you here, I'm so glad someone invested in my, in my story. I'll never forget very little. He was my small group leader in church. Would come to my football games, baseball games, invite me over for dinner with his family, and just pour it into me. And I saw Jesus beyond just church. I saw in his life how he loved his kids, how he loved his wife, how he loved me and, uh, and other people at the church. He would invite our small group over. And just the way he did life as, as a man after God. Man, people need that from us. We need to be those neighbors. And if you're here this morning, I'm just, I'll always have this as an invitation. And you've never allowed God just to come into your life and be that Samaritan that says, I want to rescue you from your wounds and your hurt and your pain. Man, let today be that day. And I'll pray for you. We'll talk about it, how you can surrender your life to Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity of the many people you have put in our lives to show them who you are. Let us not be stingy or selfish or fearful of ways that we can begin to cultivate relationships with people who don't look like us, act like us, vote like us, believe like us, uh, whatever the case may be. Let us step beyond those barriers and not hide behind those comforts, but to step out and to say, God, I, I just want you to use me. And whatever that looks like, Father, Father, let us be faithful in that command. Let us live as a Samaritan because you were the great Samaritan that came and rescued us. And there are so many people in our lives, in our family and across the street and across the world, you're calling us to rescue them through you. And so help us to do that. Not to pick and choose what's comfortable, what's not comfortable, but God, to go because you reign. You are king. You are the one. Let us clothe the naked, to feed the hungry, to give uh, a drink to those who thirst. Spiritually speaking, God, let us point people to you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Let's close in worship together.